Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. We're back into Isaiah. God saves sinners. That's kind of our overarching theme for this book. And now one thing that we actually have to discuss, and that is, Wade, um, I feel like maybe we're not going to get the most out of Isaiah over seven sermons. Like, what are we doing only spending seven, seven sermons in Isaiah? Well, there is a method to the madness. There is a plan, kind of. Okay, if that makes you feel better. What we want to be doing here is getting the overview of the book of Isaiah. Seeing just how it is that God saves sinners in this book. And we want to be doing that so that later on, let's say we have four weeks where nothing's going on, we can dive right back into, say, chapters 55 through 65 of Isaiah Um, and really push through and dig down deep into those chapters. Whereas over the next two weeks, as we finish up this sermon series, we're not necessarily going to be digging down so deep as we are going to get a view for what it is that God wants us to see through his prophet Isaiah. All right. But before we get there, I'm going to turn to 2 Samuel. Chapter 7. And if you have a good memory, you might know what's coming already. That's good. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Starting verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan, the prophet... See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought, I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the peoples of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? (laughs) Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture and following the sheep that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all of your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place. And be disturbed no more. 
and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. God, we love you. As we read your word, um, we are mindful that you are not just um, out there, um, you know, making things happen and yet absent from our lives. God, you are actually uh, personal with us. Just like you were personal with David here. You are a God that is intimately involved in our lives, and in history. God, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that as we study your word today, um, that we will be leaning on your Holy Spirit to guide us. God, we love you. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Now, that's a weird place to start for Isaiah, right? So let's, let's just introduce what we're doing here this morning. Week one, week one, what did we do? We learned that sin leads to judgment, but God saves sinners. Sin leads to judgment, but God saves sinners. We also looked at some big themes in the text. We saw that rather in the Old Testament, the good news is promised to us. And in the New Testament, the good news is made real to us in Jesus Christ. We also saw that there's one big key theme that we were going to be focusing on while we studied Isaiah, and really it's a key theme of the Old Testament, and maybe even of the New Testament, although we won't know that for sure until next week, and that is that God wants for himself a people in a place that he has provided for them, and he wants, to be, wants them to be under his authority or under his rule. Uh, better said, though, rules sounds very uh, intimidating. So we'll say it like this. Under his rule to receive his full blessing. This is something that God desires for us. In week two, we looked at judgment. We looked at judgment and salvation for God's people. We saw that over and over again, they had sinned against God. That they had... Um, Gone against the law that God had given to them throughout the first five books of our Bible. But also in the midst of being judged and holding up the law like a mirror so they could see how far from God that they were, God also promised salvation. Week three, we looked at Isaiah's call and how that relates to you and to your call. Tom closed it out with this, that a deep sense of need will draw us to worship and a deep sense of purpose will motivate us to call. 
uh, sorry, to serve. And this is exactly what happened to Isaiah. But we also see that Isaiah's life is a pattern for God's people as well. Then in week four, last week was a long one. I don't know if you remember what was happening last week. But we had Good Friday and we had Easter. And we saw that the suffering, we saw the suffering of the Lord's servant. And we also saw seven things that we can celebrate because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. So where does that leave us to go? I mean, we've already talked about judgment. We've talked about salvation. So where are we going? Well, today, we're going to introduce two ideas from Isaiah. And then next week, we're going to introduce one idea. Okay? And we're going to put all these things together. And hopefully, no matter where you open up to in the book of Isaiah, you'll know what's going on. You'll know where things started. You know where things are going to end. You know everything that's going to happen in between simply by going through these last seven weeks and then seeing these three themes in the text. But the first theme that we're going to look at today is the new David. We saw from what we were reading there in 2 Samuel that God promises to his people a king. A king that will reign forever. A king that promises safety and security and abundance and good stuff. Okay? And then we also are going to see a new exodus. Or maybe we could say the new exodus. And that might sound a little bit strange, okay? Um, But if you remember, actually, in the passage that we just read as well, uh, what does God say through Nathan? What does he do? He recounts the exodus to Nathan, okay? Words that he's going to share with David. Why would he do this? Well, why would Paul do it? Why would Peter do it? Why would we see it throughout the Gospels? Why do we see it in the book of Revelation? Why is the Exodus such a big deal? I mean, it makes sense to a Jew, right? God saved us. He's our God. We are His people. But more than that, the exodus is something bigger, too, that is constantly referred to in Scripture. And this is God freeing us from the slavery of everything and freeing us to himself so that we will be his people and he will be our God. So that's where we're going today. But let's start off with the new David. Now, I'm going to be jumping around a lot, and you'll, you just need to forgive me. We have a lot of ground to cover. But let's go back to a couple places that we've already been, okay? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 4, starting verse 2. In that day, all right, what is this day? And we talked about this when we were going through chapters 2 through 5. And that is the day of the Lord. We don't know what that day, when that day is. We don't even know exactly from what Isaiah is saying what that day is going to look like. In fact, we see that maybe there are many days of the Lord where God's people are going to be judged and then there's going to be a remnant or a small group of people returned back into the land. 
And all of it relates to this day that Isaiah is always talking about. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion remains in Jerusalem and will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. And then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining, and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. Okay, what's going on here? Well, there's two things going on here. There is a branch of the Lord. What is this branch? Well, I'm going to just throw it out there. This is the new David, okay? And we're going to see that as we go along, but you'll notice something else. Where, do, where else do we see this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire? In the Exodus. That's right. And what is this a picture of to God's people? God's presence with them. Right here, Isaiah is telling us that there is going to be this branch of the Lord, this one that is growing out and, and strengthening the people, and that there is going to be a constant presence of God with his people. If we were to go to, back to chapter 6, which Pastor Tom walked us through, we see in verse 13, And though a tenth remain in it, talking about the city, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. What is this holy seed? What's, What's being talked about? Well, here in this passage, Israel has been cut down, and yet growing up out of Israel is a seed. Is a little sprout of a tree is a branch. If we were to jump then to Isaiah 9, uh, specifically verses 6 and 7, we know this passage well. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. With what? Two things that are always missing. Justice and righteousness. And from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We see here that this branch, this new Davidic king, is a wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. Now, this would not be a normal thing to just call a normal king, right? We don't call God's people, we're not expected to call David God or Saul God or anyone else God, right? And yet this king is called mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. His rule without end. He sits on the throne of David 
in justice and in righteousness. Um, you don't have to turn there right now, but in chapter 11, uh, verse 1, we read this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Okay, so this is the bringing together of the picture now, right? There's a stump. Who's the stump? Jesse. Who's Jesse? That's David's father. Now, okay, I know it sounds like I'm trying to put together pieces of a puzzle, and that's because I am. Bear with me, okay? We're going someplace with this. Uh, And the branch from its root shall bear fruit. So here we have a branch growing up out of a stump, just like we saw in chapter 6. We see a branch just like we saw in chapter 4. But this branch is going to be explained further and further to us now. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what the eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. So there we have righteousness. And then we have another word coming up. And decide with equity. For the meek of the earth. What is this equity? This is things being made equal in a sense, but it's better than equal. Okay, Things are being made right in a just fashion. So again, there's righteousness and there's justice. Righteousness and justice. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of of his loins. We could go on simply to say this though that here we have a picture of a fruit-bearing king that is spirit-filled, that fully knows God, that is again reigning in righteousness and justice. Is filling the land with righteousness and justice and is bringing the nations to himself. We'd have to read down a little bit further to see that. Okay. So why are we talking about this? I don't know if you've noticed, um, but our world is in desperate need of good leadership. Right? Our world is in desperate need of good leadership. In fact, I don't know how many countries are represented here, four or five, something of that nature, and I don't think I would cause offense by saying That all of the countries represented are in need of good leadership. Right? Here we have a promise that is being made of a king. That does all the things that we've just said. He's filling up all the gaps in the life of his people. His people, they have no righteousness. They have no justice. And yet, this king is totally righteous. And this king is totally just. And this king brings peace. And this king brings healing. Now, it would be easy for us to look at this and say, well, good for Israel. Good for them, right? (laughs) But let's keep reading just a couple more passages and we're going to see why this is good for us too. Um, we can turn to chapter 55, and I'm going to read a couple other things. 
Turn to chapter 55, starting verse 1. But before we go there, in chapter 33, verses 5 and 6, we read this. The Lord is exalted, for He dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be stability, the stability of our times. Abundance of salvation, wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. And then moving forward to chapter 55. We're going to see something very interesting about this king. Starting verse 1. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David Behold, now what is the covenant that God made with David? That he would always have um, a house, right? That he would have someone from his blood that was king forever. And isn't that so interesting though too? That David says, yes, I think it is good that I build a house for the Lord. And the Lord says, you can do nothing for me, but I can do everything for you. I'm going to build a house for you that lasts forever. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So what's going on here? Here we have a covenant that was made to David, being fulfilled. That is that there is a new David reigning forever. But more than that, this new David is bringing people to himself. All good. He's calling God's people to himself. No. God is bringing people that were not known as God's people to himself. So here, under this king, because of this king, there's going to be a new covenant that is made, an everlasting covenant that is welcoming people in that were not previously known as God's people. Okay. Why is this important? Christians, you have a king and you have a God that you can trust more than you need to trust yourself. We'll remember last Friday and last Sunday when we were studying about this servant of the Lord that suffers on our behalf. Here's the good news. The king and the servant are the same person. And you say, wait, duh, I'm a Christian. I'm at church today. Look, the depth of God's word is magnificent. And it's something that we need to strive to work hard to understand. Because if we don't see in Isaiah that we have a good God that has made a plan from the beginning of time, 
that is going to stretch on forever under a good king, then we have missed something very great about our God. And we have missed that he is a God that can be trusted more than we can trust ourselves. We've got to keep moving. So let's talk about the new exodus. I'm going to go back to chapter 11. If you are tired of turning, just listen. That's fine. Chapter 11, and we're going to be a little bit further in the text this time, starting verse 11. In that day, I love it. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Who's this root of Jesse? Man, he's a branch, he's a root, he's a seed, okay? Um, This is this new David, right? This is Jesus. Who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from all these places. Okay, what's going on here? Uh, This king is going to cause a new exodus. Uh, See, what's happening again? God's people are sinning, and he wants to save them. But in order to save them, he needs them to see their sin so that they will repent of it. So judgment is coming that they will repent of their sin. They're going to be carried away into captivity. First, they're going to be, the north is going to be carried away by Assyria, and then the south is going to be carried away by Babylon. Why does that matter? It matters because just as God's people were slaves in Egypt, here we see that they are going to be carried away and made to live in a place that God did not make for them. It's a place that they're being forced to live outside of the home that God has created for them. But he's going to lead them out. He's going to bring back this this word remnant, right? A small group of something left over from something bigger. But we're going to learn more about this remnant. Because it's not just going to be God's people as we know Israel, okay? It's not going to just be that group of people that is being led back into a land that has been provided for them. In fact, if we were to then go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9, we read this. Chapter 40, verse 9. Go up, on the, go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for them. Behold, His reward is with them and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. 
He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead those that are with young. This is another picture of this new exodus. Um, Except for, think about the gentleness of this picture, right? We see this passage quoted elsewhere. We, We see it in Jeremiah chapter, or the same idea in Jeremiah chapter 31. Um, Actually, in the context of Jeremiah saying that, talking about the first exodus, God leading his people out of Egypt. And then we read it again in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 9. But this leading that he is doing is gentle, like a shepherd with sheep. In Isaiah 43, then we read this, starting verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. What's going on here again? Exodus, right? Passing through waters, and yet you're untouched by them. You're not overwhelmed by them. And we see a reversal of Egypt's fortune here, just as we saw in the first Exodus, right? What happened when the uh, chariots of Egypt chased after God's people? They were washed away in the water. And the same reversal of fortune is going to happen, except not so fast. Not so fast. It's good. God's rescuing His people from their enemies, and He's bringing them out safely, Just like he did in the Exodus. Except for now we read this uh, back in chapter 19. And I'm skipping around this much because Isaiah skips around this much, okay? So forgive me. In that day, the Egyptians will be like women women, and tremble with fear before the hand uh, that the Lord of hosts shakes over them. Uh, And the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has purposed against them. In that day, there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that will speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. One of them will be called the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. Okay. What's happening here? Egypt is being brought in. Hold on. Egypt is being rescued from their sin and their worship of false gods too. Aren't they God's enemies? Even still in the book of Isaiah, they're still God's enemies. What is going on here? Well, here's some good news for you. Uh, 
You'll recall Romans chapter 5. We're not going to turn there right now, except for to say this. In our sin, we were enemies of God. Just as Egypt was, was God's enemy, the enemy of God's people. And yet here we have a promise that they too are going to be brought in, that they too are going to be exodused, okay? They're going to be saved from destruction. Then in chapter 25, we read this. On this mountain, in verse 6, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. Who's it for? All peoples. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. What is the veil? Verse 8. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will, will take, he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. This is entering into what we're going to study next week together, and that is a new creation. But in this new creation, all peoples are blessed. Even Egypt, even God's enemies, even you and me, enemies of God, while we were still lost in our sin. We saw there in chapter 25, and we'll touch on this again next week, um, the end of death. Just as Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? It's been swallowed up. It's no more. And we see what John is talking about in the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? When tears are wiped away from faces. See, last week, we read all about God's servant. Uh, who we were certain, and just like Peter was certain, and all of, his, all of Jesus' disciples were certain, would be a strong warrior and king that would take the nation of Israel back. He was a hero, but he wasn't a, a masked avenger or a caped crusader or anything like that. Uh, he became a hero by suffering. For many years, God's people had waited and had been looking for this hero. One who would make everything right and just and who would take care of their sin. That would save them from themselves and from their enemies. But church, we no longer wait for that hero. We no longer wait for that new David. We no longer wait for someone that is going to suffer on our behalf. Why? Because that suffering servant and that king are one and the same person. We also see that that, that suffering, sin-carrying servant, uh, that king is the mighty God, that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us, who displays his goodness and his greatness by leading his people out of the hands of of their enemies. Also, that he leads 
his people from being enemies of God and becoming a part of his own people. He brings salvation to the coastlands, to all nations everywhere, to the ends of the earth, and he will deliver, he can deliver all of us with his mighty hand. Now, you might be wondering, why are we really talking about all this newness in Isaiah? Why are we talking about this new David and this uh, new um, creation? And why are we talking about this new Exodus? It's important. How did God set aside his first people, Israel? He did it through the Exodus, right? He saved them out of slavery. And we remember this theme, right? God's people in God's place under God's rule. This is where we're going next week. In order to uh, be God's people, God has done a work through Jesus. And that is a new exodus. Next week, we're going to read about a new creation. That is a new place that God is creating for his people. A place. And then this week, we studied this new David. The king under whose rule we place ourselves. Or rather, we seek this king for salvation and he calls himself our king. This is important because God saves sinners. The book of Isaiah is not just important as a piece of history. It's not just important in looking at how God has previously dealt with someone. It's also a map, if you will, of how God deals with you and with, I, with, with me. Leading us out of ourselves, out of our sin, promising us a place that he is preparing for us and placing us under his authority, receiving the fullness of his blessing. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this time together today. Lord, I thank you for your graciousness with me as I try to take a lot of your word and to stick it into one Sunday. But God, as we study your word, even as we read um, a mass of, of text today, Lord, let us not think simply that this is a book that we just read a lot of. God, these are your very words written for us, spoken by you. God, we thank you for that. God, we are thankful that you have provided um, someone that suffers on our behalf so that we don't have to. Lord, we are thankful that your son Jesus died for us so that we do not have to die. Our death has been swallowed up in his death. God, we are thankful that as you lead us out of ourselves, as you lead us out of our sin, as we turn towards you, um, we're thankful, God, that you look at us and you say, you will be my people, you will be my son, you will be my daughter, 
and I will be your God. God, next week as we come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we come together to look at this new creation and what that means for us, God, I pray that these passages that we have studied together will constantly be going through our heads this week. Lord, I pray for each of us that as we've read something, that if we don't understand it, that your Holy Spirit will be convicting us and drawing us to your word. God, we love you. We thank you that you have saved us. We thank you that you save sinners. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray all of this. Amen. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.